Welcome to the podcast. It is Stu. Uh, Glenn is here today talking about a lot of stuff, including Bernie Sanders praising the incredible economic miracle of Chinese capitalism. Um, I don't think he meant to do that, but he pretty much did it. We talk about the bizarre shirt Glenn was wearing today. And I know this is a visual thing, but uh, man, uh, I I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, You just have to hear it. Uh, We also have uh, the updates on the debates. Today is the last day for Democrats to get into the next round of debates. We'll tell you who's going to make it, who's not, uh, and we'll get into that as well. Glenn goes into modern monetary theory. This is the idea that you can just kind of print your way out of anything, and we go into the details on how bad that actually would be for our uh, society. And Ilan Omar is in the news. Her relationship uh, issues are are significant. Uh, and uh, it's not always just about uh, the actual relationships in her personal life. It's usually a lot deeper than that. We'll get into that as well. Don't forget, by the way, uh, you have uh, a chance to see Glenn Beck live. Uh, it's, you know, Christmas is right around the corner, just a few months away. Christmas stories with Glenn Beck. The tickets are almost sold out. Go to glennbeck.com if you're going to be in Salt Lake City. Uh, December 7th is the date. Christmas stories with Glenn Beck. Tickets are available now at glennbeck.com. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Now you tell me what's wrong. Here's Bernie Sanders, audio of Bernie Sanders yesterday, trying to praise communist China. But what we have to say about China, in fairness to China and its leadership, is if I'm not mistaken, they have made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization. Okay. Bernie, um, I think you... <laughs> I, I do not think those words mean what you think it means. What he didn't talk about was that it is the free market principle that China started to enact that they got from us. It wasn't communism. Never before in history have so many people escaped poverty in such a short time in the past decades in China. Okay. According to the official World Bank figures, the percentage of extremely poor people in China in 1981 was 88.3%. By 2015, only 0.7% of the Chinese population was living in extreme poverty. Now, wait a minute. Poor people in China fell from 878 million people to less than 10 million people since 1981. Now, what happened? What happened? Well, under Mao, the state had, you know, an omnipotent grip over China's economy. What happened over the last few decades can be summed up in a couple of sentences. China embraced the tenets of a free market economic system. It introduced private ownership, gradually reduced the influence of the once all-powerful state over the Chinese economy. Now, they are still communists and is still state-controlled, much of it. But you also have these independent companies, these companies that are not collapsing. These companies that are run by the state are collapsing, as we pointed out earlier this week. China had to print $50 trillion. 
50 trillion. Half of that went right to the state-owned companies that are dying. The state still plays a major role, but it is it's free market capitalism after the death of Mao and the death of communism. You know, let me give you this story, Bernie. Here's, here's another story for you. Tell me if this sounds like communism or a celebration of capitalism. Quoting the story. It was no surprise that the crowds at China's first Costco location would be big. But the company wasn't prepared for this. The photos of the opening uh, of the Shanghai location of Costco painted a clear picture of the reports coming out of China, which said that a deluge of shoppers clogged up parts of the store and built up traffic on roads right outside of Costco, resulting in a three-hour wait for a parking space. Shoppers crowded the meat department, which included uh, the Costco rotisserie chicken and the food court, Elbows and arms were thrown in every direction as customers attempted to pick up various items. The sheer amount of people forced the the, uh, store to shut down hours early. And a text message to members reportedly read, in part, to provide you with better shopping experience, Costco will suspend business in the afternoon. Please don't come. Now... Why were they there? Well, the deep discounts uh, that a, a Costco membership gives you. This is something spectacular in China. The usual items offered to first-time customers at the Shanghai location had discounts also on other luxury items. The South China Morning Post reported that you could get Prada tote bags and MCM leather backpacks There is also reportedly an Hermes super popular Birkin bag available. We don't know the prices of it. Even if you did manage to get a big ticket item or even something smaller on a smaller scale, such as food, checkout was a nightmare. If you managed to wait the three-hour wait to get a parking space, when you got the parking space, you were warned that it could take two hours just to check out. All in all, Costco managed to stay open until 1.40 p.m., five hours after it first opened. Now, it's a Costco. We have them everywhere. They're great, but are you waiting five hours to buy something at Costco? No, no. So is it communism, Bernie, that has everybody excited and is lifting people out of poverty? And and if it's communism, how come it didn't work under Mao? What changed? Oh, these people are crazy. Truly, truly crazy. You know, there there are times, there are a few days that I can recall in a in a in every broadcaster's life. There's 
a few days where you're like, wow, really? I mean, it, things happen that are so crazy, you can't believe you have to tell the American people about them. Let me give you one. This week, while listening to Barack Obama talk about the dangers of a rising ocean due to climate change, you're listening to maybe his clips or you're lucky enough to be able to get online and listen to his speech. While he's giving that speech, it's announced that he bought a $14 million beachfront home on Martha's Vineyard. Now, I don't know if you have an awful lot of credibility if you are giving a speech about how all of our beaches are going to go away and there's flooding coming and all of the islands will be gone, and that day you're buying a $14 million beachfront home. That's one of those days that you're like, I can't believe I'm... I can't believe I have to say this. I can't believe there are some people out there who are like, whoa, no, wait a minute. How about this one? A day in the life of a broadcaster where you have to say, hey, um, by the way, um, I'm just going to let you know that, yeah, Hillary Clinton kept a private email server with classified government documents in a closet in her bathroom for for more than five years. She wipes all the hard drives while under investigation. And this week, it also looks like the FBI knew about this huge stack of really, really vital documents. And they didn't look through any of them. That's when you look back and you're like, wow. Bernie Sanders praising China. Talking about how they're lifting people out of poor, uh, uh, out of poverty, while they are building concentration camps. Really, dude? Are you serious? Today is truly one of those days. This week we've been focused on key economic issues. Hour two all week we've been explaining what is happening, what is coming, using common language, not talking, trying not to talk over people's heads trying to make everything understandable because no one on TV will. Monday, we looked at the economic system, the situation in which we find ourselves, the long daisy chain of crazy progressive ideas that have been going on for 100 years. Who is wrecking the economy? Well, the answer was all of us. We looked at the trade war with China. We reviewed the fact that China has created more than $50 trillion dollars in off-balance sheet currency, using more than half of that to buy up U.S. and Western nation equities. In other words, they've taken about $15 trillion and put it into our stock market. You want to talk about a, a death spiral? Yesterday, we looked, took a deep dive in recessions. We told you how government intervention to prevent or reverse uh, recessions creates distortions in the economy. Today... Wow, we're going to take a look at a leading proposal for financial policies that is happening right now in Washington. And when you hear it, it's one of those days for a broadcaster where I can't believe I actually have to explain to the nation why just unlimited printing of money with nothing to back it up is a bad idea.
Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, The Squad, Bob Francis O'Rourke, all of them are now saying we can do that. And they're calling it a modern monetary theory. It's not a theory. And I'll explain at the top of hour number two, the next hour on this broadcast. You don't want to miss it. But I want to I want to go to um, I want to go to a story where you are seeing them. This one from the Washington Post today, where you are seeing these candidates now say we can print unlimited numbers of cash because we want to promise everybody certain things. And as I was reading this story in the Washington Post today, I thought, hmm, I've seen someplace else that that guaranteed those other things. And I looked at one of the producers and I said, could you print the Soviet Constitution out for me? Because I think that's where it was. Wait until I read the Soviet Constitution to you or parts of it. Even if you've read it in the past, you won't believe how close the Democrats are to quoting the Soviet Constitution. That's how far we've come. All right. I, I want to talk to you. Let me start with Bernie Sanders again. Now, this is a story from the Washington Post. Washington Post, 2020 Democrats have embraced seemingly every big left wing economic idea except this one. I'll explain. Bernie Sanders says every American should be concerned about the rising federal deficit. Do you think he means that? Because I don't. I don't think he means that at all. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has detailed how she would raise enough new to tax revenue to pay for her proposals for universal child care and free college for everyone. Do you think she cares about the deficit? More than Bernie Sanders, uh, but not enough to stop her from these crazy proposals. Long-shot candidate Andrew Yang, who perhaps is best known uh, for the memes around his candidacy, has called for a broad-based consumption tax to finance his signature issue of universal basic income. In a Democratic presidential primary, says the Washington Post, where candidates have championed many ideas once relegated to the far left of American politics, a federal jobs guarantee, forgiveness of student debt, reparations for the descendants of slaves, there is one left-wing economic position that no one has espoused, and that is the idea of modern monetary theory. Okay, that's not true, Washington Post. It argues that the U.S. government can never go bankrupt and therefore does not need to raise tax revenue to fund new spending initiatives. MMT supporters say it's a mistake to push for lower deficits because that risks contracting spending and as a result, slowing economic growth. So what they want to do is they... they they want to make sure that you have, um, you never have a recession. You never have a problem with anything um, like losing your job because the government will just keep things going. Now, I want to go through some of their proposals, and next hour I'm going to show you where they are quoting uh, the modern monetary theory. 
So the Washington Post doesn't know it's ass from its elbow on this because I can find the quote in one Google search. Google hasn't trapped us out of that information yet. So they are proposing this, but I want to show you what they're proposing it for. And then I, I, I think we should compare it to the Soviet Union. Now, let me just give you a, a universal truth. Okay, it's, it's not a theory, it's truth. We've talked about Kondrakiev. I, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was, uh, he was Stalin's uh, economic advisor. And Stalin said, hey, which is better, capitalism or communism? Now, I know what to say to Stalin. Oh, communism, sir. He thought Stalin was looking for an honest answer. So he goes back, he takes several months, and he comes up with what's called now the Kondrakiev wave, which is there is a spring where green shoots, new ideas sprout up, and then they start to create this great economy, and then we get into summer where everybody thinks it can never end, and then fall comes, and everybody starts saying, wait, we got to bail everybody out. He said, but capitalism doesn't. The Soviet Union bails everybody out, and so they let the failures fester, and eventually it sucks everything down. Where you just have to realize fall and winter are part of the cycle, which will lead to spring, all that, all that stuff. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. This week, we've been talking about economics and what is happening in our country. On a Monday, we we looked at our economic system and situation uh, and, and examined the long daisy chain of just stupid policy decisions that go against logic, dating over 100 years, both Republicans and Democrats. Then the next day, the trade war with China. China has created more than $50 trillion, just printed $50 trillion. So you know, all the money in the world from every country, all the currency just piled up is $60 trillion. China just printed 50 we talked to you about the importance of America and how the rest of the world is truly depending on us. We looked at recessions yesterday. Today, I want to talk to you about how, how politicians are now saying we're going to pay for everything. Because they're proposing all kinds of stuff. Free universal health care. Got it. Free unlimited abortions. Got it. Free college. Got it. Guaranteed jobs for all. The new Green Deal. Free phones, free internet, free cars, free housing, everything. $70 trillion in brand new government spending over the next 10 years. Brand new. So that's that's not counting all the spending we're doing on top. Now, how are we going to pay for it? Well, there's this new theory, and it's wonderful because it's very modern. And you know it's modern when it uses the word modern The Modern Monetary Theory, it's MMT. Here's what it says. 
Governments never need to worry about taxes. They never need to worry about budgets, and they never need to worry about deficits because governments can print as much money as it ever needs to spend to ensure full employment, zero budget shortfalls, unlimited spending capacity against any need, want, or desire. If the government says, you know what, we should have that, they can print the money. Now, does this sound logical to you in any way, shape, or form? You need to know about MMT because it represents the newest, brightest thinking among the liberal intellectual elites and academics. It was first proposed by an economic uh, guru, Warren Mosler, in the mid-1990s. It is now fully embraced by the left. And you have some candidates talking about it on, um, uh, on the campaign trail. But one of the leading guys who is um, uh, an economist at Bard College said, quote, it's not easy to move people overnight. It's very difficult to communicate these ideas in a way people can understand. But what's more important is that the conversation has profoundly shifted. We're now talking about big, bold policies that everyone used to say were pie in the sky. Does that sound like Elizabeth Warren? We're talking about something big and bold. And what they're talking about is abandoning everything the world has learned about economics and trying this new theory. Mm. Now, you know what's crazy about this new theory? Is why hasn't anyone ever thought of it before? I mean, it seems so simple. If the government wants to buy something, don't raise taxes, just print more money. Doesn't that seem great? This theory of finance is so new. As we speak, MMT is being modeled and taught at Harvard, Boston College, USC, and MIT. Traditional models of government financing uh, place the, the power of the purse in the hands of the people because the government has to tax. And it taxes to get its income, so it takes your income, and you have the control knob on government spending because you... You can vote them out of office. You can say, no, we're not doing this. Now, I'd like to point out that we haven't been very good at regulating, which is probably why they're now saying we can spend anything. MMT reframes uh, reframes the way in which governments participate in economies. It completely divorces government budgets and spending from the private economy. So rather than taxing or borrowing from the population for its income, the government has an unlimited budget, and it can spend that unlimited budget in its own discretion by just printing new money any time government leaders determine there's a new need for spending. And there you have it. MMT, completely new, a modern way for governments to have Unlimited budget, so we can have whatever we want and never pay for it. Oh, man, am I reminded of the Kipling poem, Gods of the Copybook Headings, and we had plenty of money, but nothing our money could buy. 
I, I find this astounding in its stupidity. So let's look at modern monetary theory, because it is riddled with logical fallacies, and it completely fails even just a, just a quick glance and examination. So let's start here. There's nothing modern about modern monetary theory. Using the word modern to describe it simply resurrects and masks the classic con. How to give a government spending power outside of the will of the people. It's done by generating accounting units. Now, this is really important. What is an accounting unit? An accounting unit is money, currency, currency. You give that accounting unit value by legal declaration. It's worth something. That's fiat. And this is it can only really be maintained by a monopoly through the use of force. There are literally dozens of historical examples of governments using their self-granted authority to print fiat currency to pay their bills. For example, I want you to know all of these have met with financial disaster. But here are a few of the most noteworthy. The very first paper fiat currency in the world was created by the Tang Dynasty in China. It was during the 17th century A.D. Merchants were order under, uh, ordered under penalty of death that they had to accept this new modern currency in trade for goods and services. By 1354, the currency had reached a state of hyperinflation, such as Marco Polo was paid for a single suit of armor from a local lord with 18 chests filled with valueless paper Chinese currency. In the 18th century, France, the Duke of Orleans, and Scottish economist John Law founded the, um, founded the Bank de General, and they issued paper currency to pay off more than $3 billion in government death, uh, debt after the death of uh, Louis XIV. Within five years, inflation had reached 23% per month and then 55% per month. Eventually, the hyperinflation had bankrupted the entire country and it led to the French Revolution. But don't worry about that. Following World War I, Weimar Germany faced billions in war reparation payments while simultaneously trying to rebuild its own infrastructure. They didn't have the money. Facing the same default versus inflate d- dilemma, they thought, you know what? We can issue fiat currency. Germany chose to just print paper currency to repay its debts. The result was 1 million percent hyperinflation. The government was uh, was printing $5 trillion mark notes within two years. A dozen eggs in Germany cost 800 billion marks. The resulting economic crash and depression led to the success of the National Socialist Party, because once you have a crash, you have the opportunity to go to socialism, because socialism promises to pay for everything. And in that socialist party was a crazy man called Adolf Hitler. The other examples, just to state a few, the Confederate States of America, World War II France, Soviet Russia, 
Eva Perón's Argentina, communist Vietnam, modern-day Greece, Zimbabwe, Venezuela. Do we need to go on? Literally every time the printing press has been used as a means for government to pay for expenses, the result has been hyperinflation and eventually a currency default and total financial collapse. There are zero, let me count them again, zero, zero historic examples of governments using fiat currency for deficit financing where the fiat currency doesn't end up valued again at zero. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. Why, my husband was sleeping with a harlot from Minnesota. Why, I just never seen anything like it. My husband was being paid lots of money. I don't know if it's for his performance, because he is rather robust in bed. But he professed his love for Elon Omar. That story and what's behind it in one minute. Alan Omar. All right. So divorce papers have now been follow, uh, been filed in Washington D.C. and uh, the wife and mom says her political consultant husband left her for Representative Elon Omar. She's a doctor. Um, she says her cheating spouse, Tim Minette, told her in April, I'm having an affair with a Somali-born U.S. representative. I'm not going to tell you who, but she's Somali-born. She's a U.S. representative. She's from Minnesota, and you probably can't figure it out. But uh, I love her. I love her. So he it's told her, bad. and then he ditched her. What'd you say, Stu? <laughs> I like your the character that is. I, I've never heard the person speak, and I kind of like the way you've made him uh, sound. I'm sure that's how he sounds. I Why mean, though? There's no real reason. You're just, <laughs> it's got, he sounds like the guy who's saying Ilan Omar in the song, which I don't know if that's. <laughs> I don't know. If that's I'm coincidental. In I'm in love <laughs> with Ilan Omar. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Uh, so anyway, so she's a physician. She's 55. Uh, he's 38. That has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. 55, I always wanted I, When I was a teenager, I said, I want to be married to a 55-year-old woman. Uh, so it's a dream come true, but uh, has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they have a 13-year-old son together, uh, and uh, uh, he works as a left-wing uh, Democratic supporter. He is. Uh, he works now for Omar. Oh yeah, I'm working for it. 
Uh, he works for Omar, and he also coincidentally worked for Keith Ellison, which is what a coincidence, you know? Seriously. So those are, you know, socialists run in packs, and they they pool the same resources. Uh, and if you're allegedly stealing money or allegedly doing something, you know, on the side, I don't know what you're talking about, I just love her, you have to get creative and you have to make connections. Without Chakabardi, sank from the uh what's its uh, face the young turks the, the young turks the uh, genocidal people that killed 1.8 million uh innocent uh citizens it's what well, you no, want to name your organization after. named after that yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah. got it um without without uh, chakabardi sank wouldn't have been able to co-found justice democrats and without those two aoc's boyfriend would have lost out on thousands wait a minute now there are two socialists that I've been keeping my eye on. You know, one of them is a squad member, Elon Omar. And the other one is the former congressman turned Minnesota, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. It's kind of creepy, uh, the th- number of things they share, including, oh yeah, including Omar's new squeeze. Well, I just don't know why you keep referring He is a squeeze, though, isn't he? They've both represented the same district. They both had tax problems. They both had campaign finance problems. I know it's shocking that all these socialists are having tax problems and campaign finance violations because they hate that stuff. Um, We've covered Omar's tax and campaign finance problems at length. But it's curious how her predecessor, Keith Ellison, was busted for exactly the same problems. Well, I mean... Keith Ellison didn't marry his brother. That we know of. Anyway, when when Ellison was state representative, he was busted for having 25000 in unpaid taxes. Omar got nailed for filing joint taxes with a man that wasn't her husband, her brother. Ellison just didn't pay any. Omar was caught using campaign funds for personal use, but several years earlier, the attorney general now of Minnesota, the same state now that Elon Omar ran in, sued Ellison twice for campaign finance violations. They each apparently have the same love in their life. They love cheating the IRS. They they love bending campaign finance laws. And they're both in love with the same man, Tim Minette. Elon Omar. Last week, the Daily Mail, uh, Daily Mail released the uh, video uh, of Omar, actually a couple of weeks ago, exiting the uh, restaurant in California with T- uh, Tim Minette. And they were talking about how they were, you know, oh, they were snuggling and they were rubbing noses like Eskimos. <gasps> Cultural appropriation. They were holding hands. They were acting like a couple. And it doesn't matter. I don't care about any of this. I don't care if they want to, you know, they want to romp like little bunnies. Let them. I don't care. What I do care is the smoke is covering what I think is the real fire. And it isn't the fire love. My net has a work history that shows he's a current partner at a progressive strategies company called East Street Group. 
Now, what do they do? Well, I don't know. If you go and look up Progressive Strategies and E Street Group, you're going to come to a website that has a single page that tells you nothing. It doesn't even have a contact. There's no way. It doesn't have an email address or a phone number. Nothing. It just says accepting new clients by referral only. So in other words, you got to know a guy because I know a guy. You know a guy? I know a guy. He can put you in touch with these guys, okay? So I don't think he's worried too much about advertising, uh, you know, for new clients because he has hit the mother load with Alan Omar. Since Alan's already been dinged for campaign finance violations, we decided to check out the FEC records to find out if there was any unusual activity between Omar and Minette. Well, Omar's campaign has dished out over a quarter of a million dollars over the past 12 months to her new alleged boyfriend. Right. I mean, you think I like chicks from Somalia? No, she's got cash. Uh-huh. Now, here's the weird thing. I mean, if that wasn't weird enough. He he gets paid in multiple five-figure payments every single month. If you look at February of this last year, $12,000, they wrote a check to him on the 7th, 15000 on the 19th, 24000 on the 21st. And the payments include everything from absolutely not vague at all descriptions of consulting to travel expenses. $24,000? Where, where are you going? The moon? Now... <clears throat> You know, maybe my internal clock is a little messed up, but but isn't the 2018 election over? What should what could she possibly be getting from this guy? You don't want to know. What could she possibly be getting from this guy where she's writing $250,000 checks? How's that possible? Now, this year, Elon Omar raised about 1.4 million. That means out of everything that she has raised, she's given him a quarter of everything. Usually, you know, you'll get a bonus or you'll get paid a percentage, but it's not 25%. I could see giving him, you know, that kind of money if, you know, he helped raise $10 million. But 1.4, the math doesn't end up, uh, doesn't add up. And this kind of spending is unusual for congressmen, especially freshman congressmen. If you look at Dan Crenshaw, his FEC filings, he hasn't spent more than $1,600 for a single payment the entire year. There is one entry for fundraising consulting. He wrote a check for $130. $130. Omar spent a quarter of a million to one guy. I'm going to go out on a limb and say something's weird. I mean, that's a lot of exotic oils or I don't know. I'm just saying quarter of a million dollars. Now, before my net met Omar, he was employed by Keith Ellison. 
This is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, labeling Minot as Ellison's main point of contact and his national finance director. Now, it's really weird that Minot, when you look at his resume, doesn't reference Ellison at all. You look at his LinkedIn page. No, no Keith Ellison. No, I, I have no idea. Hmm? What? He was also, while he was the campaign finance director for Ellison, he was also the head of his own company, the Minette Group. And like Elon Omar, Ellison pays this guy a lot. Tim Minette was Ellison's third highest paid expenditure over the past two years, $174,000 in 2018. This seems like a a racket. His FEC filings look identical to Elon Omar's $9,000 payments every month going all the way back to 2015. In 2014, Ellison paid Minot $92,000, and this was during the same period when Minot was working for uh, working on Ellison's staff. So is there a racket going on here with, with fundraising consulting? Is this big business? And if it is a racket, what's going on? There's a lot of money that is changing hands. And this money, they've tried to hide. This money, they put in these, um, in these, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them, Stu, those front, you know, the packs. The money came from a pack. So you give your money and you're like, I want to give Elon Omar money. And then you're like, I want to give her even more, but the law won't let me, so I'm going to give it to a pack. That pack, strangely, is the one that is paying his salary. He works directly for the congresswoman. How's that working? Something is wrong with Elon Omar. Something is wrong with Keith Ellison and Tim Minot. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, he might be okay in bed. I don't know. But that's not what's causing this love affair. There's something deeper. Oh, deeper, deeper. Well, we will go there. Deeper into their love affair to find out what's going on. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Are you interested in hearing the new update to the Biden gaffe montage, which continually oh, I expands? Am. I am. I am. At a rate even faster than you and I. Uh, this yes. is a... <laughs> and that is saying something because my waistline <laughs> is expanding like crazy. Do we have enough time for this or do we make sure we just play a short clip here? Uh, can we get a ruling from the time? Yeah. All right, let's do the Biden gaffe montage here. Here we go. And the other thing we should do is we should challenge these students. We should challenge students in these schools to have advanced placement programs in these schools. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Mm-hmm. 
poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Oh, Wealthy no. kids, black kids. Well, not really mean, but think how we think about it. We choose unity over division. Mm-hmm. We choose science over fiction. What else? We choose truth over facts. Oh no. And so, folks. Uh oh. If you're interested, join me. I could use the help because we must, <laughs> must defeat this president to change the trajectory of this country. When the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president, they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. All those congressmen were like, no, I'm not here. I'm not here. I, I'm not. Just like in my generation, when I got out of school, that... Uh, when Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King had been assassinated in, in the 70s, uh, late uh, 70s, when no. I got engaged. My long Six, friend, 60s. time friend, and she's a friend. She's been my friend in and out of public <laughs> life. You know, there were 40 kids shot uh, in Kent State on a beautiful lawn. Oh, that's a lot. The National Guard. We should set up a system, which I propose, which I will for if I'm elected president, okay. that allows the folks, at HH, the, 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 the folks at Health and the, uh, the, the Health Department yep, okay, in, in the, the United Department. States, uh-huh. the HHS. Right. Huh? That's the latest. The last. This is there. We are adding like two of these a day. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. All of those, by the way, are just from the last few weeks on the campaign trail. Yeah. We made sure to not include, you know, the old school stuff that, you know, oh, so well, it's getting to the point that where I think, you know, Biden is a was has always been sort of a fun gaffe machine. And some of these just are starting to get sad. Like they're they're right. They're they're really they're making you feel. I never said this about. With his gaffe machine, I just always thought he's just unhinged. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.